So this morning, we're going to, we're going to continue to look at what Hope uh, has been talking about the last couple of weeks, about blessing. And uh, I also want to think a little bit about the Christian life as following Jesus. And asking the question, how do we participate in what God is doing? How do we participate in the kingdom of God? How do we participate in God's work in the world, like we just saw? So I'm going to read the scripture uh, from Luke, which is um, blessings, right? There's a parallel to these blessings, which is also in the, the book of Matthew. And uh, in Matthew, we call them the Beatitudes. And in Luke, they are the beginning of the sermon. has a very fancy title, the Sermon on the Level Place, because they did it kind of down on the plain there. And then in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount, because Matthew has it taking place on the mountain. And we'll talk why that might be significant. But let's begin with uh, Luke 6. It says... Make sure I'm saying it right up here. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So Jesus gets, is getting together this group of ragtag folks, and, and they're all there out on the plain, out on the level place, and he is giving them these blessings and woes. What I love about the blessings is that they are gospel. Gospel simply means good news. Uh, the blessings are not anything that God is telling us to do anything. These are not things that you have to work on. They are not things that you have to try hard in order to make them true. They simply are true. They are an announcement of what God is going to do. That's what makes it good news. Because if it was up to us, it would not be very good news. Uh, and it also uh, puts together the character of the gospel, which is it is already here, yet not yet. <laughs> it's already and not yet. And it says that, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It is right now. It is. It is. The, it is. And then the, the, the fourth blessing there, blessed are you when people hate you, uh, for great is your reward in heaven. That is true right now. But then it's also the not yet. 
Because, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. That's something in the future. Uh, And blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And so it's already happening, yet it is also a promise for the future. However, I want you to hear the good news that this is not up to you. This is a blessing that God is telling you is true. You don't have to work on it. You, don't, you just get to receive it. Um, so often, I think that we turn the gospel and we turn the good news into not so very good news because so much of it ends up being, say, we say, God has done all of this for you. Now it is all up to you. And I think, well, I know for me, that's when it becomes bad news. It need, we need to continue to always stay focused on this is what God is doing. And that's what makes it good news. So everything else I'm going to say today, we need to remember that it is what God is doing. How, now the beauty of this is that God invites us to participate in it. Uh, the, the, the scripture that I always think about in this regard is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, that's when Jesus broke the bread and gave out the fish, and he fed 5,000 people with just a, you know, five loaves and two fish. Nobody thinks that the disciples did the miracle, right? Nobody thinks that. We know that Jesus did the miracle in the power of the Spirit through the Father. Uh, however, the disciples are the ones that passed out the food. They're the ones that collected it. They're the ones that sat everybody down in groups. They fully participated in what God was doing. But there was no confusion that God did the miracle, that it was all up to him. We, or the disciples, simply got to participate in it. So what I want to talk about today is how can we participate in this blessing, in this kingdom of God that is happening right now, this, this, this kingdom of God that God is doing, how do we get to participate in it? Well, the, the scripture that we're going to look at fully, by the way, I did get a text from Hope just a little bit ago, and it said, um, it said, praying for you as you lead God's people this morning. And I wrote back, translation, don't say anything I'm going to get phone calls about later. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that too. <laughs> Well, I can't make any promises. <clears throat> because what I want to talk about is the Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes, the Blessings begin the Sermon on the Mount. And they talk about how can we participate in the kingdom of God. Um, and so let's do that. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not familiar, in Matthew, it's Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And... That's where you get things like, uh, Jesus says, you have heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't be angry, uh, go and be reconciled and things. He says, uh, love your enemies. Uh, he talks about not judging. He says, don't worry. He says, uh, also the, um, the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew, uh, is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. So it, you have this huge block of Jesus' teaching. Often, I, 
it seems to me that we love what Jesus did. We love that he died on the cross and he saved us. But it gets a little trickier when we start listening to what Jesus said because dude said lots of weird things that are hard to think about and hard to translate. However, somebody pointed out to me once that if if we just have Jesus, but we don't allow him to speak, then we have a symbol that can't speak. And that's the same thing as an idol. Uh, I think often we have turned Jesus into an idol. He's just this good image, but we don't let him speak. We don't, or not that we have to let him, but we don't listen to what he's saying. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there's lots of reasons why people say, well, it doesn't, re- it's not, it doesn't really work. Um, some people say it's this, these high ideals that you just can't get to. Uh, some people say it, it's not really, uh, Jesus wasn't t- saying this is how the world should be. He's saying this is what you should try to do in your own personal life. By the way, Jesus never talked about people just as pure individuals. He was always talking about the community at large. Um, some people say uh, that the, the Sermon on the Mount is just supposed to be spiritually true, and we should do these things in our heart, but not, you know, tangibly, we can't really do that. Well, God became man. He became flesh. It seems to me like God was very concerned about doing things in a very tangible way. Well, I think one of the reasons why we misread, and by the way, I, anything I say up here, I usually steal from other people, so... If, if um, This is all stolen from uh, one of my favorite people, a guy named Glenn Stassen, who was a nuclear physicist and a Christian ethicist and just a hero. Uh, but he, he helped me understand some of this stuff up here. Uh, a lot of the time, folks have read the Sermon on the Mount as antitheses. Okay? Jesus will say, uh, you have heard it said... To people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And then you get the antithesis. But I tell you, go ahead and murder. It's fine. No. <clears throat> See, that's... That's why the antithesis idea doesn't work. First of all, because Jesus is not arguing with the old law. Right? He's not saying that it's not true. In fact, Jesus is very much against killing. and. Uh, But the problem is, uh, well, let me read it again. You have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, right? That's in the Ten Commandments. Then he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. All right, so that's where most people, I think that's where most of us stop. And we think, all right, well, God's telling me, Jesus is saying to never be angry. All right, well, and danger of, what are we in danger of? Judgment, uh, hell, all kinds of things. Well, if you were a part of our family last night, you would know that my whole family, we're all going to hell if that's the case. (laughs) Am I wrong? And so what happens is we stop there and we say, well, this is impossible. 
we can't possibly not be angry. I don't get it. Like, this is not practical. I think it's because we, well, it's because I've read it as antitheses. What I think that we should read it at is in a triad, in threes. So go to the next slide. What I think Jesus is doing is he's giving us a traditional teaching. He's talking about the vicious cycle that we get caught in. And then he gives us this transforming initiative. He gives us this very practical thing that we can do to participate in the kingdom of God that he is bringing about. So let me read this one more time. And actually, you can go to the next slide. Uh, So the traditional teaching is, you know, you have heard it said long ago, do not murder. You shall not murder. You shall not kill. And the vicious cycle we get caught in is anger. But then there's this transforming initiative. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, just leave your gift at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. All right. I'll see. I can do that. I can get... I can get... Um, I can get caught in the vicious cycle of anger. And, and I can't make myself stop. Like, Jesus got angry, by the way. But there are lots of things that we can... I can't make myself not be angry. But I can go to a person. And I can sit down and talk to that person and say, I'm sorry. That is a practical step I can do. And then God uses that to help me participate in him healing relationship. I can participate in what God is doing that way by doing, by simply going to be reconciled. To, and the rest of scripture tells us how to do that. If, um, if I have a problem with Steve, the Bible says I need to go and talk to him as a person. If that doesn't work, then I need to bring someone with me. If that doesn't, you know, there, there's practical ways to do that. He and I can do that to mend our relationship. But that's way different than us hearing Jesus say, never be angry, right? Let's go to the next one. And I'm not going to go. There's 14 triads in the Sermon on the Mount. It all lines up beautifully. Uh, As an English teacher, all the the traditional teachers are done in the um, subjunctive mood. And then all the... uh, Vicious cycles are done in uh, continuous verbs, and then all the transforming initiatives are done as, um, uh, how did I say? as in, in indicative or imperatives, that this is what you should do. And, and there's 14 of them that line up beautifully, and I actually printed out a copy of uh, what the 14 triads are, because I'm not going to go through all of those. Paul threatened me that I can only be another few minutes. Um, <laughs> But I printed them out in the back, and I printed out some so you can take a copy later. But I think this gets us started. Uh, let's talk about a, the, the next one. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? So just trying to make yourself not experience lust. 
it's a struggle for so many, and, and whether it's um, with some of the opposite sex, or maybe it's with money, or maybe whatever that lusting thing is that we lust after, those are emotions that happen, and to try and make that never happen is almost impossible. So what does Jesus say we should do? What is the transforming initiative? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Uh, And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And by the way, let's all go back to my eighth grade English class. We'll learn about the word hyperbole. Jesus is not asking us to rip out our eyeballs. But what I think he is asking, if there is something that, that, that triggers lust, let's remove that. So if it's not good for us to have a computer in our bedroom, then we shouldn't. Remove it. You can do that. That is a practical step. If there's a place that you go where that seems to be a temptation, don't go there. That's a practical, simple, practical, transforming initiative that God will then do the miracle of transforming our hearts so we don't experience, we don't get caught in that vicious cycle. Let's go to the next one. Um, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, The vicious cycle. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And I think that that is mistranslated. What it's really saying is, uh, but I tell you, do not resist evil by evil means. Um, In the Greek, that's a way better translation. Because Jesus resisted evil. That was his whole purpose of being here. But don't do it by evil means. I'm reminded of the uh, movie, uh, the Batman movie, Dark Knight, with the Joker. And, uh, and uh, the Joker is doing all these evil things, and Batman is trying to combat that. Yet, the only Batman starts doing evil to defeat the evil. And, and that's really the whole question of the movie. Uh, is it okay for us to do evil in order to defeat evil? Here, Jesus is saying, you get caught in this, in this um, cycle of violence and of, per, of perpetuating that violence and becoming the evil that you were trying to get rid of in the first place. I mean, I feel like we deal with that as a country a lot, right? So, what's the transforming initiative? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's a... If, it's, in the sense of an insult. Someone insults you. You don't insult back. We can do that. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give, the one, give to the one who asks, and do not turn away for the one who wants to borrow from you. Um... I don't know if anybody saw the movie Moonlight that won for Best Picture this year, but there's a scene in there where this boy, uh, the, the main character, he gets, uh, he gets punched in the face, and he stands up, and he just stands right back, and he gets hit again, and he stands up again. And in that moment, you know who won. It's the kid that didn't fight back. I think of um, in Birmingham when 
when the, the civil rights protesters were marching, were peacefully protesting, and then the guards released the dogs and the hoses, and they didn't fight back, that's when they won. That's when it changed, and the whole country saw this on TV, and, and suddenly there was transformation. These things don't make sense, by the way, and I get that. I, th there's uh, another movie, if anyone ever saw uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, there's this great scene in there where one of Jesus' disciples had heard him talk about this, and the disciple is sitting there talking to Jesus by the fire, and he goes, hey, you know that part where you said, uh, love your enemy and, or, you know, turn the other cheek? He goes, I don't like that. <laughs> and I think that's how we feel, right? We don't like that. I mean, if somebody hits us, we want to punch them in the face. If, if I, I ask my, uh, like, I've, I've asked my students before, I, if someone hits you, what's the response? Well, you hit them back. Who told you that? My parents? Right? We all, and we all believe that. We do. I mean, that's... Right? I mean, it, where, where in our culture do we say that not doing that is okay? Um, it goes against... It goes, it goes... But see, that's the beauty of it. The kingdom of God is an upside down. It puts the world back to the way it was supposed to be. And we participate it in it with these transforming initiatives, and then it is up to God to change the world. And we have to remember that some of these things will cause us, well, it doesn't always work out great. Jesus did this, and he ended up dying on a cross. Right? That's where it ended. And then God somehow, through his death, changed the world. I think I have one more up there, and we can... Um, Love, neighbor, hate your enemy. Well, that's just a self-serving love. Uh, so love your enemies. Pray for them. And when we think about enemies, I don't know who we think of, but, you know, especially in our, in our political climate, to really love, love in a practical way, Republicans. To really love, to really love Democrats. And... You know, we, we joke about it, but there's, I mean, by the, by the news that we watch and by the things that we post on Facebook, we, we, we get caught in that self-serving hatred. So if we really want to love enemies with, with a, and, and, and be a Christian presence in those places, what would it mean for us to love the people on the other side of that aisle, the people that post things, and, and what in social media, and, and how we respond to that. I mean, I think that if we take Jesus seriously, this should affect the way that we parent. It should affect our politics. It should affect our bank accounts. It should affect the way we treat people, the way that we say things, and, and the, the things that we stand for and behind. Um, the world believes... And the, the kingdom of the world says that wealth brings joy. That the stockpiling of weapons is what brings security. That whoever yells the loudest is right. That if somebody insults you, you should go on Twitter and insult them back. Um, 
that destroying enemies is victory. Jesus says it's totally the opposite. He says, my, I'm doing my kingdom. My kingdom is coming. I am here, and it is happening. And you get to participate in it. And he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. He says, here are some ways to do that. My hope is that this is just the beginning, that you will explore the Sermon on the Mount, that you will read it as, a tri- as triads, and that you will pray and say, Jesus, how can I participate in the kingdom? How can I make this real in my life as a parent who's just trying to get his kids to school in the morning? How can, I, how can this interact with my How can I make this happen? And I said that. That's a bad way of saying it. Not how can I make this happen. How can I participate in it in a way that God will make it happen. Because otherwise, if it's all up to me, again, bad news. But it's what God is doing. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for allowing us to participate in it. Father, we pray that we would repent of the ways that we have gotten caught in vicious cycles. And Lord, give us the strength participate in the transforming initiatives of being reconciled, of removing the things that hinder us, of um, loving those that are hard to love. And Father, we pray all these things in the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.